All right. Mondays, we are focused on raising private capital and investing with purpose. So whether you are a new investor or an experienced investor, understanding the art of raising private capital is crucial in this competitive landscape. Join us as we navigate the complex realm of attracting investors, securing funding, and building meaningful relationships that fuel your business growth. All right. Hello, guys. I'm your host, Kalisha, and I have my co-host, Betsy, with us today. What's going on? Oh, my God, this sound. What's going on, girl? Girl, you have so much going on right now. You're Betsy. doing the podcast from the car. So, um, you guys, if she's a little bit lagging, that's um, yeah. like outside of the meetup with Pace tonight in Tampa. That is so exciting. Um, I mean, aren't you hosting that so today? Yep. <laughs> I had to put my phone like on do not disturb because everyone keeps calling me like, where are we meeting? Where are we meeting? And I'm like, yep, sorry, I can't talk right now. Tune in. <laughs> yeah, but we're here. We're, we're here and we're like really excited to um, get to talk to our guest today. We And you see our dedication. I mean, Kalisha's literally in the parking lot. Listen, you got to do what you got to do. Make it work. No excuses. Got to make it work. You got to make it work. But guys, we have a great guest um, that we're going to bring on. But before we do, Betsy, hit them with that disclaimer. Yes. You guys, the following information is for educational purposes only. Please do your own due diligence. We do not provide financial, legal, or professional advice. Everything that we do or say is from our own experience. You guys, please don't take it as like word. Take it uh, please go and yeah, go do go do your own due diligence. Find the, those professionals who are certified. We always mm -hmm. make sure to do that in our, ourselves with our own cases. Yeah. So we want you guys to practice that too. Yeah. No, definitely. So, guys, this person we we've known this person like we we are all we're both in like two mastermind programs, a high performance coaching with Keston and sub two with Pace Morby, and I think we all have gotten super close through the high performance coaching program. And we always heard about Tanisha, Tanisha in sub two. If you want midterm rentals, go to Tanisha. But I think we've all like developed like a great relationship. Now we have an understanding of how each other's business work or personal lives, all that stuff. So we're like, you know what? I think this is a time for us to bring her on the show where she can just share what she's doing, how she's raising capital, how she's operating for her corporate rental. So guys, let's welcome Tanisha Epps to Money Mondays. What's going on, girl? Hey, ladies. Super excited Love to be here. It. Thanks so much Love for the invite. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. We're so excited to, to have you. Oh, my God. I love, <laughs> I love this. Every time I need to know something about capital, I just know who to go to. No, listen, this is, this is, I love how Betsy said finally, but you know what? Guess So, guys, a little bit story. We were supposed to have Tanisha on this show maybe about a month ago. But then yeah. Tanisha got married. So congrats, <laughs> officially. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. She got married. So we had to switch some things around. But nothing happens before it's it, before it's time. So we're happy that you're exactly. here. And we're literally just going to we're gonna chat. You ready? Cool. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Let's go. So, or, you know, the standard, the first question is, 
everyone wants to know, like, how did you get into real estate investing? Because we all know you do your full time job. Like, how did you get into it? Uh, so the funny thing is my well husband, I have to get used to saying that, by the way. So my husband, who was, you know, um, trying to figure out like we were talking about some things we were interested in. And he gave me Rich Dad, Poor Dad to read. Mm -hmm. Um, I read like the first few pages and then I put the book down for like some years. Okay. Like not even a couple of days or a couple of weeks. I put the book down for some years. Mm -hmm. And so one day I was cleaning off my bookshelf and um, I'm like, oh, this book is here. So let me just pick it up and read it. And yeah. um, <clears throat> that was the thing that had me decide. I thought I wanted to be a realtor because I was trying to figure out how to get into real estate. That did not work out well because I came from a travel job. So I literally traveled across the country for almost 15 years. And uh, I literally knew like nobody here anymore. I was already an introvert. Wow. So that made it worse. So being a realtor and an introvert, that again, two things like, that no, no. necessarily worked. <laughs> right. um, so I did that for a very short period. Um, and then I put the book down again. Okay. This is the crazy part. Same book. Cleaning the bookshelf off again one more time. And I'm like, okay, let me just read this book. And this was a little bit before COVID. Yeah. And I'm reading the book and you know how as you get older and you grow, your mind changes and things just resonate with you differently. It's perfect the way that you just said yeah. things basically happen in their own time. So I read this book. I'm talking to him and um, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to get into real estate investing. I'm just going to buy a rental property because as I'm reading, I'm like, I really should have done this while I was traveling on the road when I had no bills, no nothing. I was literally just stacking cash um, on my oh. travels. I should have just bought a rental property then. But I didn't. So um, so I start going to meetups, getting you know, involved with some different people. Uh, and I also it takes me two years to like decide to do anything. It's so bad. Um, like even buying a car takes me two, two years. So I go and I'm like, OK, when I go to these meetups, I meet a lender. I do all the paperwork with them to do traditional lending for rental property. And then COVID happens and everybody stops lending. Yeah, everybody like literally they were like, no, we're not giving out money for our lines of credit at a million dollar line of credit lined up. OK, and they would not give Whoa. me a dollar like nobody. So Ooh. I'm like, how do I get started? So I pick up another book. Um, it was real estate. It was long distance real estate investing by David Green from Bigger Pocket. Mm -hmm. I just followed the instructions in the book and I bought four properties in seven months in a state that until a few months ago, I had never set foot in. Okay, so I had four properties I bought in Indiana and I still never seen any of those houses. It's just that when we left the last sub two mastermind, my my husband wanted to go to the Indy 500. So yeah. it's the only reason I've ever set foot in that state. And it was literally for the six hours that the race went on. So that's how I got started in real estate. That is insane. Like now I got so many questions because I'm like, OK, how like four properties in seven months? How did that even happen? So the book told me to find a realtor and a property manager, and it kind of gave me an outline of how to pick a location. So I just did a ton of research. Mm -hmm. And luckily for me, the realtor that I connected with was also a property manager and he was also an investor. So yeah. it made, it was like the whole trifecta. And so he went out looking for properties for me. Um, again, I'm not there. So I have to rely very heavily on, um, you know, the properties that he's seeking and that first house we actually bought from a rehabber. Horrible experience with lenders, by the way. It was a traditional lender. I had no clue what they were doing. And I don't think they really did either. 
And the person threatened to back out um, oh. of the deal because my lender was so was such a bad experience. Um, but we once we got through that one, he was like, look, I'll sell you, give you first right of refusal on every other house that I rehab, as long as we don't use that lender again. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, great. But remember, I'm doing traditional lending, so or traditional yeah. buying. So um, I'm using my personal name, my own credit. And I didn't really know how I was going to come up with money for down payments. Mm -hmm. So I went and got a HELOC on my personal home because I had a ton of equity, which literally does no good for you unless it's actually to work. So I used a home equity line of credit to put down the down payments on traditional mm -hmm. lending. And that, technically, I was my own first lender first, from yeah. my house to buy those four houses that yeah. literally are all paid back with the cash flow from the house. So it's, mm -hmm. I bought all those four houses with no money out of my pocket. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I'm, I love that you said that because a lot of persons be like, how, first of all, with a home equity line of credit, but I love that you said you are your own private money lender mm -hmm. because technical, as you said, technically it's zero out of pocket yep. and you, purchase these four properties using a HELOC. And for, for those who are listening after this goes live, just keep in mind, your HELOC is also a source of funds when you're, when you want private capital for any of your projects, or if you're looking to land. So with all of that, like, when did you pivot to decide, okay, like, when did you realize, I want to start raising capital for deals? Like, what, what was the turning point? Uh, well, the first piece was when I realized that I didn't have to use traditional lending anymore. That was number one. And so, you know, this guy, Pace Morby, I say he stalked me on YouTube. That's my like running joke with him. Uh, when people ask, how'd you get into sub two? Because I was doing a search for how to buy houses without your own money. That yeah. was my search because at some point your HELOC still has a limit. Like you can't mm -hmm. borrow but so much money. And so he started following, he started stalking me on YouTube. That's what I'm going to, I'm just going to say that he was stalking me on YouTube. Um, and I joined sub two. And that's really where my mind opened up to not only creative finance, but use literally using other people's money yeah, in yeah. order to buy properties. And so my biggest thing was um, before I go to get someone else's money, I want to see what it's like to be a lender. So that way I have the experience so I can build the story. So when I go to other people and I talk to them about raising capital, I can literally tell them, hey, I've also been a lender. I know how it goes. And, um, you know, my story, I basically tell them is I had $50,000 sitting in the bank that was literally doing nothing. Like my bank had the nerve. Okay. <laughs> my bank had the nerve to pay me a dollar per month. on grand. They paid me $12 for a whole year. Oh my God. And then they took my 50 grand and made how much more money oh on it. Like yeah, when you yeah. start understanding how yeah, banking yeah. works, are they really doing you a favor? Mm -hmm. It's just so we can digitally see it on a piece of paper or online. And yeah, so yeah. I did my first private money lend and it was actually the first person's, the, the person's first time also borrowing money. Um, so I was like, oh, I get my first check. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> The bank gave me a dollar. You gave me $500. Hmm. So how, how did you find that person? I want to go back and like take this step by step. How did you find the person to lend to? Um, how it did you community. It was yeah. in It was in the community. So 
Um, I had actually built a relationship with this person. I saw what they were doing in their business. Mm. And that was the biggest piece. So they were very visible on social media about what they were doing. Um, I had one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. So I actually got to know that person, not just, um, you know, hey, I don't know your name, but here's, you know, a hundred grand or 50 grand. I actually built a relationship with that person. And so when they came to me and said, hey, I've got this deal, I know that we were talking about you potentially wanting to raise capital, but also to be a lender, would mm -hmm. you consider being a lender on my deal? So I had him literally walk me through everything that he was doing because it was a flip and I don't do flips. So yeah. all I asked was on top of the lend, just make sure that you keep me informed on what you're doing because I'm trying to learn. And he was great. Now, the best part of it, because, <clears throat> you know, some people will have issues with people not communicating, et cetera. He did everything that he promised me he would do. If I had a question, he would answer it. He kept me up to date on what was happening every month. He literally paid me on time. And on top of that, when the loan actually needed to extend past the time that we had initially agreed, he called me ahead of time. We had a whole conversation about it. He let me know what was going on and asked me, hey, is it okay if we continue to extend the loan at the same rate? Well, again, $500 or a dollar. Now I don't have to go figure out where my money's going to go or be upset yeah. that it's back in the bank, literally mm -hmm. making a dollar. So I said, sure. So he kept it for another three months, which was great. I mean, another 1500 bucks. $1,503. I'm going to keep saying that because yeah. <laughs> people don't really think about it until you see the difference. And so um, that I met him in a community and built a relationship with him. And he, I have a very short list of people that I lend to at this point, and he's still on it to this day. Man. I mean, I like what you said too, in terms of some persons would be like, I don't want to extend the loan, but then when you get the capital back, it's just sitting there. What is it doing? Like, Nothing. But you're like, I want my 500 bucks. Am I still going to get that? Yep. Mm -hmm. And I like the way how you viewed that as well. But what? So you mentioned that you were building that relationship with a person. And you point out something super key that they were posting on social media. How long before did you decide, did this, like the entire deal happen? Like, did you know him like two months before or like just a week before? What, how long was it? Was it? A few, it was a few months. So I kind of paid attention to what people were doing in the community because that's just what I do. I'm very, I just watch people, watch people, what people do. And so I watched what he was doing. I literally watched his growth. Now, this is somebody that I remember was calling me about going out and door knocking. To now, if I look at where they are today with the business that they have today, like it's pretty cool to see people's growth and progression and to know that I was his first private money lender. But I just paid attention to what he was doing and I watched and I watched to make sure that his actions lined up to the words that he was saying, because that for me was the most important part. Um, and so I felt really, really comfortable just saying, OK, I trust you. I'm going to lend this to you. But also our paperwork was very solid. So um, that part was really important to me to make sure I understand how I could get my money back if I needed to, the position that I was in on the loan. And um, again, I really needed to know what they were doing with the project and okay. if they had done any projects before based on what they were doing. And they had. And that's yeah. really where the confidence built because I was able to watch the process. And then did you did you lend after that deal or did you just start like say, hey, I'm not using my money at all? Um, so I have done, uh, probably another five or six loans after that with mm -hmm. different people. 
still, again, I have my core group of people. Like I have a loan out right now for somebody's um, rehab that was going to be a wrap that they ended up finding a traditional buyer for. And so they were actually going to hold my money until January of next year. But again, I watch what this person's doing on social media. I've talked to them on a regular basis. I've met the family. I know what they're doing. And um, they keep me in the loop. That's all I ever ask people is just to communicate with me. Like, tell me what's going on. Tell me what you're doing. That one actually closes in October. Do you know? I'm glad that I'm getting my money back, but then I'm frustrated again because I'm like, oh man, number one, I didn't make a return and I got to figure out what to do with my money after that. So we're right back at the same place. But it's the same thing I tell my own lenders when people lend to me is I just tell them about my own stories. And the more stories that you can build and the more experience that you have, it's so much easier for people to really resonate with what you're trying to accomplish. Because Mm -hmm. I used to always think I was asking people for money. Yeah. And when I realized as a lender that I'm not asking anybody for money, I'm giving you an opportunity to beat the bank. That's really what I'm doing. That's it. Bingo. It's funny too, because when we, when we, when, when I talk to persons as well, and if they're completely new to private money lending, I always use the example of the bank in terms of, okay, think about it where you give the bank the money and you're saving and it's sitting there and you go to a bank and you ask for a home loan. Whose money do you think they're using for a home loan and giving you this high interest rate? Exactly. And then they give you a return of like, 0.01% and they're making the bank like it's the same thing I always try to explain to persons but let's pivot a little bit in terms of the corporate rental space a lot of persons know it know it for midterm rentals at first you would hear midterm rentals or travel nurses but what I I know I see her face and I know what she's gonna say she hates the term so Tanisha hates the term midterm rentals but T, tell us like how, what made you decide to focus on that strategy? So I have this board, this full board downstairs. You know, how people write vision boards and write out, oh, these are all the things I want to do. And so I went through and wrote on this board every single thing in real estate that I thought I was interested in. And the reason why the corporate rental piece came up is because I used to be a corporate traveler. Again, I was, um, you know, I've been in the insurance industry for 20 years. And I was on a catastrophe team. So I used to travel to catastrophe zones, do hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, those types of things. And we would stay sometimes in hotels and sometimes in corporate housing. Well, my company actually used to rent apartments, have them furnished, and then give them out to the people on the team as we would rotate. So I'm like, wait a minute, let me think about the business that they were doing. If they can do that, and I was a corporate traveler staying in that same housing, and I know why people would need to stay there, then why can't I do the exact same thing in real estate? So that's really what led led me to it was my, my own experience there. And the second piece was when I would work in the insurance claims, you know, I dealt with people who lost their cars, their homes, sometimes family members, things of that sort. And they always needed somewhere to go when they, you know, had a major hurricane or tornado. Like I was the person on the ground seeing those things. Well, where do those people go when their home is not available to them anymore? Mm -hmm. They're going to temporary housing. And so that's really the way that I got involved in the path of what I'm doing now. Man, that's inspiring. Like, right? (laughs) You have a really big, like, reason to why you got into what you're focusing on. Mm -hmm. It's it's funny, too, because then there's so much things going on through my head but I'm trying to like pull out all the newbie questions that they will start to overthink like with something like that yes you you went and you 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 did your research 
But mm-hmm. one of the major thing was how did you have an idea how much money this asset is going to make? That's the first question. Oh, also, did you did you market the places that you were already where you already had your properties? No. So those initial properties I had were in Indiana. Those I would never use for corporate rentals. They are traditional rentals all day long. Like that is the best use of those properties. And that's another thing. Like you have to figure out what is the best use of a property. Like I have in the last week, I've had a few people reach out to me and they're like, hey, I have this property that I think would be great for a midterm rental. Again, I'm only saying the term midterm rental, by the way, because that's what other people say, because that literally means nothing if you do not have a client avatar. It means back. So um, so I'm going to use that term because that's what people know or corporate rental or something otherwise. So um, I've had people, you know, coming to me and they say, oh, I bought this house and it'd be a great midterm rental because I want to make a bunch of money. Well, number one, if the high level of money is your focus, you're already in the wrong business. Let me just, that's just my opinion. And I'm just going to say it all day long because it's still about service. The same as what you do, like with the short-term rentals that you have, it's all about the service. And if you treat people right and you have the right service, the money will come. Um, But not every property fits. You know, I had a property, this guy was like, oh, this is a great house because I'm going to rehab it. Okay, well, tell me about the neighborhood. Tell me about the parking situation. Why would somebody need to come and stay in your location? Think about what's around and what's happening. What would be the reason? And so most people I'm running into now are finding that their properties don't cash flow as long-term rentals, right? They have run into a situation where they're like, they bought a property just to say they bought it. And now they're trying to pivot to another strategy on the back end instead of planning for it on the front end with multiple strategies. I don't buy properties that don't work as as long-term rentals because- if it fails, if it doesn't work, you always have a backup. So, you know, that's the biggest piece for me is just making sure that I know who would need to stay with me before I buy the property. And I do a lot of different clients. I have travel medical professionals. Like after this meeting, which I'm so sad to say that I have one of my apartments that I was still cleaning myself. Um, I just hired a cleaning crew, but um, they don't start until my next one. So I have to go finish up this clean at an apartment that's like shortly from my house because I have a travel medical professional coming to stay with me. And she told me that her dollar max was $2,300. And I said, well, the last time I had that place rented, it was for 24, which is totally fine. I just asked her, hey, can you bump it up 50 bucks? If you can, I'm happy to host you for three months. And she said, yes. So where you think people have a ceiling and they tell you that doesn't mean that they do. But you have to understand where people's money is coming from, right? Mm -hmm. So where, let's say, for example, I'm going to use these apartments as an example. I have two apartments in the same building, arbitrage. They don't cost the same thing. They're a little bit different. They're in the same building. One's on one floor, one's on the other. Mm -hmm. One of them I have rented out right now for $3,100 a month. And that's the one, that's the smaller one. This one I'm about to rent for just under 2,400. Either way, I still make cash flow. The one for 3,000 is because I booked it on Airbnb. My other one is because their money's coming from Travel Medical and their goal is to keep as much money as possible in their pocket because they have to pay things at home or Mm -hmm. they're saving to pay off credit card debt. Remember, I told you, I was a traveler. Literally the down payment on my house is because I traveled and I figured out how to be smart about not spending all my money. You have to know where people's money is coming from first. And Mm -hmm. once you understand that is how you can make your way into setting an appropriate price. You can still use Airbnb as a reference. You can still use Data Rabu. You can use Zillow. You can use all these different things. 
there's no one platform that's going to give you the appropriate rate. Even Furnish Finder is a good tool and um, it's a good starting place, but it doesn't mean that that's exactly what you should charge. I got a house in Arizona. We literally just had our guests leave uh, like maybe a week ago, 8,500 bucks a month. Long-term rental rate on that house is 2,600, I think. At another house in Virginia, rented out for 10 grand a month um, on my last booking. Long-term rent rate, 2,500. But my yeah. regular rate is five is $5,000 to $6,000 a month. Mm -hmm. It's a bonus. I don't know where people's money's coming from. Same so as raising private capital. Right. <laughs> Which I want to ask, like when you get these properties, like, can you tell us about one of these properties where you use private capital for it? And how did you structure the terms? Because it's not like with private capital and it, it's a fix and flip, you can repay them their principal at the end of six or 12 months. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you structuring the deal and how are you planning to repay those lenders with these rentals? Mm -hmm. So the last one that I did, um, well, two, I actually just closed on another one today, as a matter of fact. Ooh. So I had to go and meet with the attorney and then come back here. So I made them push up the closing so I can make it back home in time to come do this interview. Love so it. this one in particular is structured as a private money partner. So we have a percentage of equity split. And then um, this one, they were pushing me and pushing me for equity. It's it's my dad, okay? And I, <clears throat> I don't always lend to family members. But here's the cool part. is because I talk about raising private capital so much, and I talk about opportunities so much, and I talk about where I make my own money, now I have my family members literally coming to me asking me to give money. Okay. This Ooh. is what's happening. Yeah. It's so crazy that I've almost taught my dad how to raise capital from someone else to bring to my deals so he can be the plug in the middle. Okay. This Look at that. that. Super, super cool. Yes. So this last one we structured, he's actually the PMP. So he's a private money partner. So he's going to get an equity position on the cash flow. And then once a year, I'm actually going to pay him interest on his money for a specified time period, but it's a one-time payment at the end of the year only. So I do not have to make a monthly payment on interest. He gets a basic, basically, I look at it almost like a year in bonus on your job uh, where you're just going to get an extra payment at the end of the year. So now you know that your money's working for you, plus you get a cash flow split. But what he understands on that one is if there's no cash flow, you get no money. If there's mm -hmm. cash flow, then you get money. And I don't have to pay him back per se, the initial investment, because he's a partner on the mm -hmm. deal, but he's yeah. still getting an interest rate. So his money is still working for him better than the bank. Mm -hmm. The other one that we just structured, it's a simple private money loan. It's a five-year term. So on my properties, I don't do fix and flips. Like you just said, I'm not yeah. cashing out quickly. I'm buying properties sub to uh, seller finance, and I'm not cashing them out because they're at really great interest rates. Like the last two properties I bought were built in 2022, both of them, sub twos, um, beautiful properties. Like I literally had to do nothing but walk in and furnish them. So yeah. the other one that we have, we just bought in North Carolina. That one is a straight private money um, payment, a monthly payment every month, a five-year term with the option to extend. If we, if we both agree, that's how that one's structured. And um, he's just got to get his money back at the end of the term. And that is going to come from a saving of cash flow. So what I do on my my rentals is once all the expenses are paid, I have a portion of the money that I still save per principal pay down back to the lender. And I set set that in a separate account mm -hmm. so that that money is accruing as the cash flow is coming in. That is smart. Ooh. 
that you yeah. just dropped that is that so is much more <laughs> yeah because <laughs> first we'll just take the cash flow and just start spending it um i told i told i was telling someone recently like the cabin it's since 2023 that i started taking cash flow from the property or after an entire year because mm -hmm. we have to like build up at least six months of reserves so my next thing is when you do, how are you getting your lenders to agree to the five-year term? Because for a lot of us, especially with our different communities, everyone wants 12 months max or 12 months is too long or they want six months. Mm -hmm. How are you convincing them to do five years? So the first thing I ask them is how did they come up with the term and why, mm -hmm. right? So remember back to what I said about being a lender, a dollar, $500 guarantee money that I'm getting. If I get my money back that fast, I have to figure out what I'm going to do with it next, which mm -hmm. means you have a period of time where your money's not actually doing anything for you. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go back and renegotiate terms with someone else and or maybe the same person potentially. But your money's not doing anything during that blank time, like that dead time period. So for me, I, I don't want to think about what to do with it. And so the way that I approach it is, number one, I tell them about what my business is. Right. I don't do flips. So mm -hmm. I'm not cashing the property out to get your money back right away. And if I say to you, hey, I'm just going to hold your money for a year and then I'm just going to go get another lender. Now I'm just swapping and I'm really putting you in a position where at the end of that year, you have to go back again and figure out how is my money going to go work for me? Mm -hmm. I just, cut, I mean, I just cut, cut to the chase. Like where some people yeah. would be like, well, well this and no, I just tell you, I just tell you what my business is. I tell you what I'm going to do. And I'm telling you for five years, you don't even have to think about it. Mm -hmm. You're just going to sit back and collect a payment and be excited. Like one of my, one of my other lenders, I sent them money and they were like, what is this money for again? My, like, are you serious? <laughs> They're like, no, I totally forgot that you had my money. And uh, so one of my other lenders came up to their term and I said, do you need your money back? And you know what they said? No. What would I go do with it again? The uh, bank is not paying me anything. I said, okay, do you want to just extend your term? And they said, would you please extend my term? Like they're begging me to just not give them their money back. Whoa. Listen, the fact that you just said they're begging you, this is why I tell people like as much as you need capital, if you need it for 12 months, do not take a six months money for 12 months. If it doesn't work, don't take it because there is a lender out there that will work with the terms that you have mm -hmm. exactly that's it man mm -hmm. like there is someone but with this too, like, water, go go betsy <laughs> uh, yeah. oh Joel. so Joel's asking yeah if an if airbnb is illegal in the area can we do a corporate rental how would it work with an hoh um so first hello joelle He's everywhere. So um, I love this. He, every podcast I do, he's always here. So thank you so much for supporting. Aww. Like, it's really exciting um, to see him here. So first thing is Airbnb is a platform, my friend. Airbnb is a platform. It is not a thing other than a platform where you can list your property. So if we're asking about short-term rentals being illegal in an area, the first thing you have to ask is what constitutes a short-term rental? I should have been a lawyer, okay, in another <laughs> life because I literally dig down into contracts and what they mean. So first you have to ascertain what does short-term rental actually mean in the location where you are? That is the most important piece. And then you have to determine what's illegal about it. Now, Airbnb as a platform says 28 days is a midterm stay. Mm -hmm. That is their rule. That does not mean that is the rule everywhere. Like some places may say six months. So first you got to start with the location where you are. 
Then the yeah. next piece is going to the HOA and not every HOA, number one, most HOAs have limits on the number of properties you can have as rentals in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that you always have to ask, which people fail to do on a regular basis. They just assume because I bought a property that I can rent it. No, right. not necessarily. If they're at their cap, you can't do it. And then secondarily, if the HOA puts a limit, doesn't matter what the state says because the HOA said, hey, we require six months or less. Plus, mm -hmm. um, some of them have all these rules like somebody in Vegas brought one to me, okay? The contract that was written by the HOA was so great. I mean, I like really appreciated it. If it was my house, I'd have been really upset. But the way the contract was written was beautiful. It literally said, we do not allow anything less than, I think it was like a six or a nine month lease. And if you try to circumvent it by leasing to your company to say that's the 12 month lease as an arbitrage and then bring in someone short term and they find out about it, they can step into your place as the landlord, supersede you, kick that person out and either fine you or kick you out of your house. That's oh, how wow. these are. So this is why people need to find out the HOA rules. Yeah. Oh, well, he yeah. did get specific on the um, location. Since Dallas is where I am, bans Airbnbs. It can spread to the suburbs like Plano, Plano, Frisco. Plano, Frisco. Yeah, all those places. I mean, it's true. There's and there's nothing that you can do about it, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that you should then say, oh, I'm going to do midterm rentals without a strategy. So mm -hmm. if you have not, I know he has already watched my videos on my YouTube channel, which is called MTR Mastery, Midterm Rental Mastery. I still hate the term, by the way, but whatever. <laughs> so um, you need to know the rules and who would stay with you because if I have a five bedroom house. Is a travel nurse coming to stay with me in a five-bedroom house? No. Why the heck do they need five bedrooms? Unless they happen to bring their family or if you're going to do rent by the room, which means you have to run mm -hmm. it like a hotel or a vacation space, like a um, almost like a hotel or a dorm is pretty yeah. much what you're doing. So you have to run through a series of why am I doing this? What type of property do I have and who would come to stay with me? And mm -hmm. can I just throw this out since we're he's talking about, you know, um, midterm rentals and that type of stuff. I have a lot of people that reach out to me and they're like, hey, I know you do insurance stays. Yes, I do. But do you know those are not like an everyday thing? People mm -hmm. only need a, to come to you if they have a claim. And that's assuming that maybe you have a relationship with someone that they need to reach out to you. Like I've already had like six requests today. So it's like busy, busy. Um, but just because you have a property doesn't mean somebody wants to stay with you. Oh, so yeah. you really need to understand how you're going to source your clients. And if you're only relying on Airbnb to bring something to you, just like mm -hmm. raising capital, if you're just sitting around waiting for somebody to ask to give you their money, then you're already setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. And I like the fact that you mentioned I think a lot of persons just hear the fancy names for the strategies, like take the strategies out the window and really look on what can I rent this by the room? Don't call it pad split because <laughs> pad split again is just a platform. Can yeah. I rent this by the room? Or as you said, T is that are there like, for example, construction workers happening in an area that they're, they're going to motels. And all that stuff. If you figure out how is you can generate income from that property, scrap the strategies, the fancy terms and all that. This is where it comes on to. You have to, you have to know your market. Mm -hmm. You really have to. And you have to make sure that, as you said, you always have two backup strategies. Mm -hmm. Well, not two, two exit because things can go south. You know, the one that we're going through right now, things can go south. 
Well, we have <laughs> another question, Jose de Leon. Hey, Jose. He's Jose, saying, is, he's driving, sorry. I love Jose. He's my Disney buddy. He said, oh midterm underwrite, and other than proximity to hospital slash population, how can we make an educated guess on income when comparable sites have a wide range of pricing? So first thing is you can still use Zillow. You can still use Furnish Finder. You can use AirDNA. You can use Airbnb monthly stage. You can use um, Data Rabu. You can use all those things. But pricing doesn't help you if you don't know your client avatar. Because what you're going to end up doing is relying on a platform to bring people to you when you don't know the people that you need to come to you in the first place. So, yes, having a hospital is great. But why does that matter? So if I have a one bedroom apartment, let's say I have a one bedroom apartment. It's super cool because there's a hospital, literally um, one exit up, which is where my current travel nurse that's moving in is coming to stay with me. Right. She's working at that hospital. That's great. It's in the proximity to that hospital. But do you know this is the first time I've ever actually had a travel medical professional from that particular hospital stay with me? The ones I've had with me work at hospitals across town. Mm -hmm. But I know that they'll come stay with me because I know the drive. I know the problems with where they're going to go work, how hard it is to park, how loud it is, how you don't get the amenities that you have in my location. So I'm giving them an experience that makes them want to come stay with me, even if it's right not, ne not next to the hotel, I mean, the hospital that they're working at. So again, you really have to understand who your client avatars are. So like when you have people, let's say you have properties in the city where you live. You know how you have people come to your door trying to sell you solar, they try to sell mm -hmm. you whatever. Talk to those people and ask them, hey, are you from here? Are you working from out of town? If you guys are from out of town, where do you stay? Who, how can I reach out to your supervisor? Do you guys need housing? Do you have more people come into the area? Construction, solar, roof repair, stuff like that. Those are the people you need to talk to so you figure mm -hmm. out what's happening in your area that's an opportunity to do housing. Like for me, most people know I'm a huge Lego fan. Lego is building a billion-dollar facility in my city. I am working on trying to see how I can connect with them so that I can be a corporate rental housing provider for Lego. If I can get that contract, yeah. I'm like, no, I've literally mastered my entire business. <laughs> and it, 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 when it, while it's answering Jose's question is, would you? What are your thoughts on niching down? Do you think someone should niche down and stick to one strategy or find two strategies? Because especially for persons who are investing out of state, if they're if they're not able to pick up those little gems and just connect with those people, what are your thoughts on niching down on a strategy? It depends on your property and where it's located. So again, just because you're not there, I mean, it helps to have, you know, those additional things that you can add on. But Google is a wonderful tool. It's yeah. really, really great. Like you should start looking at what's happening in the local chamber of commerce. A lot of those places have Facebook pages where you can figure out what's happening in an area. Are they bringing people to an area? Is there a big company coming where they might need to stay? Is there a headquarters for a property in your location that would have a reason to bring executives and, and various people to come and stay with you? So you have to do some research on your area. Just going to get a property. And this is with anything, not just midterm rentals, but with anything. If you don't understand who's going to come and stay with you and why, reg whether it's uh, regular renters, like if you have a location that is, I don't know, 80%, 80 to 90% traditional homeowners, would you go and buy a rental property knowing that it's going to be much harder to find renters because most people own their own homes? 
So, but if you have a very high renter population, so you have to look at that. Is it a balance? And those are the things that I think a lot of people unfortunately just miss out on. And you should still list on the free sites, Airbnb, mm -hmm. VRBO. Like I just set up one of my properties on VRBO today for one we just got finished uh, furnishing. Those are free. And if you never get anything from them, who cares? It didn't hurt you to put it on there. That's why I got my $10,000 booking for a place that I pay less than, like with all my expenses, it's about 2,600 bucks a month. $10,000 booking on Airbnb, literally just because I had it on there. Yeah. It's free marketing. Free. Doesn't cost free. you a dollar. And they already have their different audiences that are, are popping up. I find like booking.com. Is a, it helps with the reach as well for a person's traveling like to a completely different state. Mm -hmm. That's been that's been pretty good. But have you ever encountered um, any like backlash when trying to raise capital for any of your projects? Maybe someone saying this is a scam or or just saying this is not for me or anything like that. I haven't run into anybody saying it's. No, that's not true. They didn't really use the word scam. OK, I think we've all heard it. When you go to tell people about, because really, I think far, the first thing is, especially if someone's never been a lender before, mm -hmm. you want to protect your money because you don't really understand how the bank works. Yeah, And that's part of the problem. Like most people don't understand that the bank is using your money. Like when they talk about the banks have the tallest buildings, there is a reason for that, right? Mm -hmm. Number one, because they're visible. And the second, because they got all the money sitting in the bank. Like where I live, we have one of the Fed locations here. So I always think about this when I drive past the Fed. And um, the bank is literally taking my money, paying me pennies on the dollar, making me think they're doing me a favor so I can see it on a computer screen or on paper. And they're going to make the money that I can make myself. And you still have some people that are saying, hey, I just need to be able to see it. I just need to be able to go get it if I need it. So then yeah. it becomes asking questions. Well, what are you going to use it for? Right. It's mm -hmm. no different than when we talk to sellers or realtors, like just digging down and finding out what people's actual goals are. So one of my lenders, this is this is my favorite one. They make 50 bucks a month, okay? 50 bucks. That's their that's their return. Um, it's a very small amount that they loan to me, but they make 50 bucks a month. I literally asked them, what's your interest rate at the bank? And let's do some math. Like I pull out my calculator. Let's just make oh, it real time. Well, yeah. pull out the calculator. And then I just compare what you're making in the bank and what you're going to make with me. And if you put yourself in the seat of the bank, now you're doing two things. You're becoming the bank and you're beating the bank. OK, mm -hmm. so 50 bucks. I said, what are you going to do with this money? And they said, oh, this is going to cover us to be able to go get drinks after we play golf. OK, great. Mm -hmm. That's what they use the money for. They use it for their golf tab at the, the um, golf course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. That is insane. But you literally you just said, and I just want to repeat this, that it may go over some people's head. It's real. It, you're asking them questions. Yeah. What do you want? Very and important. you're not, yeah, like what, what are your goals? And you're also sharing, you're not just going to them and be like, this is the best, real estate is the best avenue for you to invest, blah, blah. No, you're literally like showing them, let's do the math. Mm -hmm. And that's a great approach with what you are doing because then they're like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. This makes sense because you're walking them through the process and they, they can see. So thanks for sharing that. So guys, take notes. Yeah, take notes. Take notes. Take There's notes. <laughs> one more question from Joelle. It says, there are tons of organizations that came across. One was in East Texas that does a 503C for veterans. So 
I can go up to the guy and pitch him this idea to partner on veteran housing. How would that work? Do you have experience with veteran housing? I do not. However, um, someone just brought an opportunity to me recently about veteran housing. Ooh. But here's the thing. You can go ask anybody whatever you want, right? Who needs housing? That's always your first question. Always. Who needs housing? What do they need it for? What purpose are you serving for them, right? Who, mm -hmm. who is it that you're serving? And then where is their money coming from? You have to understand that. So what you should do is go connect with this person if you know you know, if you know them individually, or even if you don't, if you can get a chance to talk to them, ask them what their goals are and then find out who are they using now? Like, what is their process for housing these people? Understand where the funding is coming from. If you understand where the funding from is coming from, you're figuring out who it is that you're serving. And then you go and see if you can serve them in return. That's mm -hmm. your biggest piece. So just yeah. saying, oh, I'm going to go do veteran housing. Well, what if you go buy... What if you go buy a property that has a PITI of $4,000 a month and they can only pay you $2,500? Well, it sounds great that you want to do veteran housing, but you can't afford it because it's mm -hmm. not going to cover your mortgage. So unless you're in the space that Pace Morby is, which I am not, I own houses with Pace, but I am not in his position. I am not just buying properties for depreciation. That would be nice, but maybe some down, time down the line, not today. Not today. <laughs> You're like, not today. Not today. <laughs> I love the next question that he has. And I, I, I'm been getting, I've been getting this question asked a lot too. Go Betsy. Yeah. One question. A lot of us are connecting with the same buyers, private money lenders, agents, sellers, et cetera. What is the key to standing out and building real relationships over transactional ones to raise capital and help each other? Um, I don't just do transactions. So that's the biggest piece is where people are just, see, there's a difference again between asking for money and giving people an opportunity and building a relationship behind that. So if you don't understand your, let's go through them. If you don't understand your buyer's goals, if you don't understand your private money lender's goals, if you don't understand the goals of your agent, if you don't understand the goals of your sellers and you're not genuine in getting to know what they're trying to accomplish mm -hmm. and number one, be willing to tell them that you cannot meet what it is that they're looking to accomplish. Just be honest. And yeah. if you can tell them how you're going to build a relationship and then actually do it. That's mm -hmm. how you stand out from other people and then do yeah. what you say you're going to do. That's the huge, the huge piece. Like for me, if for some reason something crazy happened with the property and it doesn't cash flow, but I have a private money loan out, I am going to make sure that that money comes out of my own pocket if I have to pay them. So if I got to take that out of my paycheck, because I still have a job, they're getting their money back. Mm -hmm. Even if that means I can't go buy a new Lego set that month or whatever yeah. it may be. I'm going to pay them back because that's what I said I'm going to do. And I'm going to make sure that I stay in touch with them because I think the problem that so many people have is they go out and they say, I'm doing all these great things that they're not really doing. Right. Like I can show people my properties, my lenders, like as we go through when they're getting furnished, I'm literally sending them updates. Like I actually have to send my lender the photos that I just got back on my property in North Carolina, beautifully furnished, just completed. Mm -hmm. I'm going to send those photos to my lender so they can see what their money is actually doing for them. Yeah. And then yeah. I, I talk to them about the type of clients that we have, like, hey, in that property that you were a lender on, this is the type of person that we were able to help this month, or this mm -hmm. is the family that we were able to help. Like, I literally want them to feel like they're a part of the people's stories. Yeah, man. Life. And I wanted to touch on the thing from his question, too. It's 
apart from build, connect, finding out the person's goals, don't get co so consumed in one group because yeah. everyone, like what I'm seeing is that someone be like, I want 20% return. We had someone who always talk about, I want 20% cash on cash, but they don't really understand what does that really mean? So it's like, we couldn't even help them because they, they don't know what they want. So I think you now have to start educating that person with whatever is it that you know, try to bring value that way, but also step outside. Like T, you said your father, your your dad, your your family members. Like we have where's we have people with capital who are around us and you're trying to raise private capital for someone million miles away. When you mm -hmm. maybe have a hundred thousand around you and you have no clue because one, you don't open your mouth. Two, you don't, you don't, you don't try to educate people and tell them this work, this, this beauty of private money lending and the opportunity that, that it's bringing. So I would highly recommend start with your family and friends all the time. Like don't shut it down because one family member may not be able to do it, but they have a coworker who will yeah. be interested in something like that. So literally like open your mouth and tell people what you are doing. That's it. I got one of my most recent lenders because another family member I was talking to that loaned me money told this other person that they loaned money to me. And that person called me and said, hey, I have money that's just sitting in the bank that I would like to lend to. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, the next time I have a project that fits your goals, let's talk about how much you want to lend. Where's the mm -hmm. money coming from? What are you looking to accomplish? What are you earning right now? Like I literally ask those questions because I want to make sure that I'm doing something worthwhile for them. Because yeah. if you have somebody that is actually making a decent return, which still can happen in, you know, in some, in some banks, it could happen. Mm -hmm. If you're still, if you're still making a decent return, why would I have you pull your money from that just for me to give you something less yeah. when your goal is to achieve a certain return? If you're able mm -hmm. to achieve that in another way, then go do it. Yeah. Great. Good for you. Like there's no, there's no pressure here. And mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that um, a lot of people miss is like, you feel like you're pressuring people. You feel like you're asking people for money. I don't pressure anybody into anything. I literally start out by saying, Hey, if this is something that you're not interested in, like by the time we're done, that's cool with me. Just know mm -hmm. there's no hard feelings. Like it's, it's your money. You do what you want yeah. with it. If you give it to me, great. That just means you trust me to do it. But if we're not a good fit, whether it's on my end or yours, because just mm -hmm. because you have the money doesn't mean we're a good fit because I will not take money from someone that I don't feel has a good, um, that I just get, you know, you get vibes from people. Yeah. I will not just take money from people just because like mm -hmm. you, there has to be something there that shows integrity on both ends mm -hmm. that says we're both going to do what we say we're going to do. I have no interest in just taking money from people just to take money. I, I yeah. just, I just don't. Man, like right before we wrap up, like what advice would you have to anyone who's looking to raise private capital? Uh, the first thing I would say is be genuine. Mm -hmm. um, also, not everybody uses a pitch deck. OK, and I had not used them in the past. But I got to say the ones that I see from these two ladies on the screen. I like to borrow the strategies that other people do. They are so good that I'm starting to build out more pitch decks 
just to highlight the opportunity um, rather than just talking about it. Yeah. So now people have the visual. Cause again, I told you, I use calculators when I talk to people about the money part. So why not have something visual they can see too. So I'm starting to use pitch decks more because of the two of you um, and really just go out and build relationships and be genuine. Don't be afraid to, to say no to someone who's bringing you money. Cause um, all money is not good money. Mm -hmm. It's just not all money is not good mm -hmm. enough money. All relationships are not good relationships. Um, and for me, I want, I want the people that loan to me to be happy that they're working with me. Yeah. Yeah, man. The, uh, girl, this was yeah. worth it so much. I learned so much from this. <laughs> Thank, you, me too. Thank you so much, Tanisha, for being here with us. We're so grateful that you were able to come and drop some awesome gems. I learned so much too. Oh my yeah. gosh. It was good. This was fun. This was it so was good. Fun. This was good. Right time. How can, people, how can people reach out to you? What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Uh, best way is uh, probably Instagram, and that is still um, Tanisha Epps. So it's at the Tanisha Epps on Instagram. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. It's Midterm Rental Mastery or maybe MTR Mastery, or you can search Tanisha Epps on YouTube. Um, and I respond to my comments. People send me messages from there. I'm actually starting to ha have people reach out to me about raising capital and bringing me more and more deal opportunities. So um, those are the best ways to get in contact with me, but I just, I'm super grateful that the two of you asked me to come on here. And as I'm talking, I'm literally learning more things about myself and building my own confidence and raising capital. Cause sometimes you don't realize the things you've accomplished until you say them out loud to someone else. Yes. And so thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you. You yeah. guys, if you guys want to follow Tanisha, please do. It is in the description. So you guys can just click on that and go to her content and mm -hmm. start like absorbing it and taking action because we don't we don't preach just to absorbing content but also taking a lot taking action. of action exactly. so thank you again tanisha for being here thank you guys the viewers for being here today too and commenting and being so active and asking questions you guys get some questions we don't think about or it just re reiterates what we already are saying repeatedly yeah. and i just love seeing that from you guys any last words from you guys no, thank you so much. Really, thank you. And oh, so you have your meetup tonight. Mm -hmm. Please give my brother a super big hug and tell it was for me, okay? Okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Right. I think he, he's at the airport, but I definitely will. Awesome. Love it. Thank you, ladies. Yeah. Yes, you'll be so successful today, Kalisha. We're, I'm very excited to see all your stories tonight. Oh, yeah. So, Thank you. Yeah, Ooh. I'll be living for you today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Love it. whether you're looking to finance your next project, launch or expand your new business, we hope that this episode gave you insights, strategies, and tips so that you guys can also raise capital and invest with purpose. Bye, guys. Mm -hmm.